Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a staycation, Macy's has everything you need. Summer's almost here, and I'm so excited to take a trip with Bryn. We are planning it right now. We are heading to Macy's before we pack to grab new shoes we can wear all day with anything. I'm excited to lay in the sun with key pieces from Macy's, like my new Dolce Vita sandals and Levi's skirt. I am ready to relax and look and feel amazing. Oh, how good that sounds. Of course, I can't forget a new beach bag. I have been eyeing the collection of beach bags from Macy's, and I can't wait for you to see what I choose. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. The virus that causes shingles is sleeping in 99% of people over 50. It's lying dormant, waiting, and it could reactivate at any time. And while not everyone at risk will develop shingles, it strikes as a painful, blistering rash that can last for weeks. Think you're not at risk for shingles? It's time to wake up because shingles could wake up in you. If you're over 50, talk to your doctor or pharmacist about shingles prevention. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. So I don't know if it's that we didn't buy anything during the pandemic that wasn't ingredients or cookware or fluffy loungewear or slippers or home decor. Um, But I feel like recently the mafia of subscribing to things I didn't subscribe to is at a fever pitch. I, first of all, I want you to know that if I look at my phone, people get anxiety and I am the most declutter, organized, get rid of everything person. Want Want me to freak you out? In my inboxes, I have 45,742 emails. I don't even bother. I don't know how to delete them. What would I do? It's like deleting all the pictures. I want to go back to the time where we took pictures on a camera and then went and got them developed. So we weren't so half cocked that we just took 10,000 pictures. Even when you're out in public with my daughter or with Paul and you ask someone to take a picture of you, they take the liberty of taking like 40 pictures, which is so nice. Like I took a bunch because they wanted to get a good angle. And I appreciate that. But I like when my daughter takes a picture. She takes one and it's amazing. And Paul, my fiance, is kind of like that too. He's not just like taking liberty with my phone and taking 20 pictures. And by the way, I find that 
then it's like you have a problem. You have to 20 pictures of the same damn thing. I mean, I'm not Linda Evangelista. I'm not like putting, I'm not smizing in between each picture. I'm standing in the same exact spot. So now I have 2 million pictures that I'll never look at my whole life. The only reason it's good that I'm famous or a well-known person is because I can Google my daughter and see her face because how would I find any of these pictures? Sometimes Paul will send me a picture from three years ago because I guess he put him in his favorites. I don't even know where that is. I don't know where these pictures are. I don't know how you search things. Four years ago, I looked hot in a black slutty dress. How do I find that? Three years ago, I took a picture of a bag in a store that, you know, had an Easter egg pattern. I I don't know where that is. It's in my phone, but where? And then sometimes I'll be flipping through and then I'll find some other thing. And then I take a picture of that picture so it's closer to now in my pictures. So if I, like, I know that recently I took a picture of the picture of the stool that I saw years ago in a magazine. And that happens too. We don't rip out pages anymore. I had a lot less to worry about when we just ripped out the page of something you liked in a magazine. Now I screenshot it. If you see it online, I favorite it, but I forget that I favorited it because I don't see it. So I don't know where to go find it. I don't even know what my favorites are. I know that I, I do that little thing. It looks like a flag, but I don't know where they land. I, I see that little thing on the right. It looks like a sort of little like ribbon, the end of a ribbon. And I don't know where they go. So I on Instagram will message myself something that I like. And then forget it. I text myself. Do you text yourself? I text myself 50 times a day. Self, here's a pizza that looks delicious. Let's make this one day. Self, here's a photo of a lovely credenza. But I never answer myself, literally. So all day long, I'm sending more and more texts to myself that I don't answer. This brings me to the unsubscribe culture. Every fucking day, ending in Y, and I didn't sign any kind of goddamn contract with anything. You buy anything. You buy a an oven mitt, a goddamn uh, hand towel, a pair of glasses, a pair of sweatpants, a lip gloss, an eyeshadow. You're now in their mafia. Everything that they do, you have to hear about all day long. I bought a goddamn mascara. I don't need to hear about fucking hoops. Leave me alone. So every day I have to wake up and start unsubscribing. And it's in the smallest possible unsubscribe print. You got to get your reading glasses out because you can't find that. Then you go to the bottom and you hit unsubscribe. And what happens next? Now it's a whole, it's the Census Bureau. Do you not want to receive these at all? Do you want to receive them once a day, four times a week? Do you want to receive them every minute of your life or never hear from us again? I just fucking said unsubscribe. That means unsubscribe. So I want to have like a returning message to them being like, hi, unsubscribe is not available right now. I'm on vacation. But don't, do we care that I have 45,765 or whatever I just said emails? Like, what am I, who cares? Why start now? I mean, I have once from my goddamn nasty divorce 40 years ago. I, you have to like know certain things, but I, I, it's a mafia of itself in and of itself. And what about the pictures? Don't you, does anyone agree with these pictures? What, I don't know what's in here. And then I, I got one day your phone just says, fuck you, no more pictures. And then you start deleting pictures, but it doesn't matter. It's like, no, honey, that's not going to do it. All those fucking tourists that you asked to take pictures of you, it's all that and all the other shit and all taking pictures of, you know, your phone and couches and pizzas and all that shit too. So we're done now. You have to do a whole thing. And then you buy all this extra storage and or your phone breaks, you get a new phone and then your new phone, you can put new stuff on. But then sometimes you'll go back and look for the picture and it's on the old phone. Does anyone have that experience? Like I have an old phone that's in the city that I'm now panicking. Where's that phone? Because I know there are certain pictures. I don't know what they are, but once in a while I'll be like, oh shit, I screen grabbed that on that phone. It's not there, right? No, I did it. I tried to get a new phone. I tried. It's like trying to break up with somebody and you keep going back and fucking them. I tried 
to do this. And I even was going to go on to like a Samsung. Like I was going to be like, fuck it. These phones don't even know each other. I'm going from an Apple to a Samsung. I'm fucking done. So for whatever reason, because the way everything syncs up and links up and I got enough problems, um, I went onto another iPhone. I'm like, this is going to be my bat phone. This is a phone that only these people know and these people, but it creeps in. You can't. So I say, just fuck it. The 47,000, either delete them all or just don't care. Keep buying. Pretend I work for NASA. Just keep buying more storage. But you don't understand this is the opposite of who I am as a person. Like I am, my goal is to get rid of everything. So I'm now like an unintentional, just because I don't know anything, tech hoarder. I'm a hoarder. Don't have any solutions. Usually I'm a practical solutions person. I have nothing. The 99 problems and tech hoarder is one. Who else is an unintentional tech hoarder who has 50,000 pictures of the same thing because people can't just take one picture of you and just let it be good enough anymore? Graham Norton is amazing. He's an Irish actor, comedian, commentator, and presenter. He is well-known for his work in the UK. He's a five-time BAFTA TV award winner for his comedy chat show, The Graham Norton Show. I've been up late at night flipping through channels when I'm overseas and cried at his show. It is so funny, and he's just very interesting. He has a wide-ranging skill set. He's also an author writing both nonfiction and fiction. His latest home stretch, a novel, is releasing today. I'm impressed that he finds the time with his busy schedule. And we talk about why you should hitch your wagon to the correct team, how you should always bet on yourself, the importance of choosing your battles, and why you need to follow your passion, even if it's a little off-brand. Graham is always a delight, and you're really going to love this episode. you'll be surprised to know that I'm really aware of you and that I was, you were on my list to have you on and I was really excited. And like, this was a big get for me. And of course, cause we're in the U S an obscure big get meaning like you're a big deal, but niche, very niche. Yeah. I'm niche. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've got <laughs> McConaughey on and Hillary Clinton and Mark Cuban. And I get some good people just like obviously you have for years on your show. But you were a big get for me, and I want to tell you why. So first of all, I everything to me is about just comedy, and you know, humor is its own excuse. Um, and you just, you just have an irreverent, like you don't really care vibe about you. You're just having fun, and it's absurd, and it's like a little demented. And I've been up late at night in other countries. And then just have found you. And it feels like I'm watching something from like a time warp sometimes. Like I'm watching like like a 60s um, talk show in the funniest of ways. And I'm like, what is this show? Who is this funny hysterical man? And it's Kate Hudson on and all these famous people. Like I didn't know this guy. This is years ago. And every time I would see you, I would just pee my pants laughing. So I've just been very aware of you for a long time. And I'm excited. Oh, well, that's so, so kind of you. I know what you mean about it. It does look like uh, if people started smoking on the show, you wouldn't be that surprised. Exactly. <laughs> like the old Dick Cavett shows where they're there they're wearing hats and smoking. Exactly. It feels like, and you know when you're in another country, you're lost in translation, so you don't know what's going on. And you're like, what? <laughs> they're really famous people. So am I dreaming right now? Because there are these famous people on the show with this funny guy, and it's sort of like a shit show free-for-all, and they're all having so much fun. And I just think it's great. So that's why, you know, I wanted to have you here. But I really realize that you have built 
a, a brand and a success and in a non-traditional way, which is what the show is about. And you're nothing short of interesting. So I'm very aware of you. And I was wondering if you knew who had any clue who I am and why you would do this show. Like I am aware of who you are and, and exactly. And talk about brand building. I mean, I can see why you're talking about it. You are very, very good at that. So um, I knew that you were very popular and I didn't know you had a podcast in fairness till they asked me to be on it. <laughs> but I imagined uh, it would be a very popular podcast. And also, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, shared audiences and things, I kind of thought, oh, I imagine her audience might like my show, might like my books. So uh, I thought this was a good fit. 100%. So it's interesting that you're a serious writer. I write books in a very sort of prescriptive way. You really get deep into writing a book in the traditional author sense. And we started as an actor, but you are, do you consider yourself mostly a comedian? Would you say like at the core and the heart of who you are, are you a writer? Which also comedians are obviously writers. Yeah. But what, what are you in your mind? I was a stand-up to serve a purpose. I was a stand-up so that people knew what to do with me. Um, because, you know, producers and things kind of go, oh, he's a stand-up. He can do a bit of TV presenting. He can do a bit of radio presenting. He can do and that was my way in. The minute I could stop being a stand-up, the minute I, it wasn't my primary source of income, I stopped. I never really enjoyed it. I was never that good at it, to be honest. I was never a closer. You know, if it, if it was the comedy club, I was always either the host. I liked being the MC. That was a really fun night for me. And I liked being maybe the middle act, but I was never, you know, I, I was I wasn't a guaranteed, <laughs> I wasn't a guaranteed hit maker. So uh, don't put me last because I could ruin the entire evening if the audience took a gin me. So it was a, it's a vehicle, which it is for many people. I recently did stand up for the first time during COVID in a real comedy club in New York City for seven minutes, uh, like a month ago with people seated, like, you know, six feet yeah. away from each other. And what I found interesting about the process of doing, I found the process of doing it, meaning leading up to it and the why and the structure more, even more interesting than doing it from a business perspective, because it was just like business where it's about how you prepare yourself and how you set yourself up. And I really realized what an art form it is. And that was the only reason that I was able to do it because I was organized, if that makes any sense. But hang on though. I mean, if you haven't done that before, it is one of the most terrifying things or did you not care did you go into it thinking this will serve a purpose if i die for seven minutes i'm still getting material out of this it's still a thing or did you go into it thinking please god like me and laugh at me for seven minutes neither i've always said i wanted to do it i was i did the groundlings etc and i hope you have time because i want to get into your life and your childhood and your yeah, money yeah. and all that yeah, this yeah, yeah 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 we're but, here um, once i decided i wanted to do it because i have always wanted to do it. Not like voraciously, but it's always been like, I'm the person that does whatever I say I'm going to do. And how have I not done this one thing that I was sort of not scared, but it feels like I'm being a little bit of a pussy not doing it. So the minute I said I was going to do it, then I was off to the races. And then, and it wasn't terror. It was like, am I really going to do, wait a minute. I'm really going to, am I going to do this? Like, what is it? And what is the big odds? How hard could it be? How, and, and but then it became scary because how could Jerry Seinfeld have bombed even in his later year? Like, how could people like Chris Rock bomb? How? And it, it came to me through talking to all these people that it was because of when they take, that they're taking risks. When you're risking, you're bombing. That makes sense to me in business. You jump, you fly, okay? So the whole thing was a risk. But um, I didn't bite off more than I could chew. I had like three sections of like things that I really do think are funny. And 
it was about the style though. So for anybody listening who's worried about public speaking or wedding or anything, it was about being prepared. I realized that my style, I have a ranting style and my style was, is to be aggravated about something, vent about it, tie it up in a bow. But I was prepared. I know that sounds crazy. So once I got there, I knew I'm going to talk about this, yeah. flow into this, talk about that, and then flow into that. And with nothing really written down except for my bullet points, I didn't care if I bombed because I was prepared. All you could do is set yourself up. If I bombed and I genuinely wasn't good at this, then that's okay. I did what I could. And I found that like you, when I was done, I didn't need to do it again. It felt like I didn't want to be begging for admiration in that way. Yeah. I'd rather it be natural. So I, I respect the art form as understanding. So the itch, the itch was scratched. I mean, I think the people you're talking about, the Chris Rocks, the Ellens, those people, they do it because they love it. They get something out of that that you and I don't. Even if we can do it, even if there's the possibility that we could actually make a living doing that, I don't get the reward Same. that those people do. They get I mean, they are fed by it. When you listen yeah. to real stand-up comics talking about doing it, because you're like, you're a multimillionaire. Why on earth are you schlepping around the country doing one-night stands around the place? You know, they love it. Me, I want to be in a TV studio. I want the cameras to find me. <laughs> I don't want to go looking for an audience. I want to walk into a room and find them. Uh, it's just... <laughs> well, you want to breathe. I think you want to breathe yeah. a little more and your show is very breathy and you want to not be suffocated by the confinement of what you have to say next and land the plane and get it done. And and also it's different all the time. So I'm constantly interested. You know, I've got different guests each week. So it's a different show each week. I'm there, but everything else has changed. And that keeps you interested. It's, it, I mean, it's like doing these sorts of interviews. You know, you can podcast up the wazoo for the rest of your life, but so long as you're talking to somebody new each time, you know, some weeks will be really boring, some weeks will be really funny, some weeks will be really interesting, but it will be different each time. And that keeps everybody interested. Yes. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Macy's makes it easy for your little ones to buy a present for you for Mother's Day. Bryn loves to shop, but sometimes has a hard time figuring out what to get me. I have confidence that Macy's Gift Finder will be a great guide for her. Something for everyone at every price point. Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, it's so easy to shop. You can shop by price, category, or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything, gifts that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted, and gifts for grandma. Plus, Macy's has top gifts like Beats headphones, digital photo frames, Polaroid camera, and Samsung Smart TV, the frame. Head on over to Macy's.com slash gift finder for the perfect inspiration for Mother's Day. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com. 
where America goes to hire. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I really do love doing this more than I've ever loved anything. Um, I've read about you now. I mean, I knew you from television, and now I know about you. And every week that I speak to someone for over an hour, I really get to understand who they are and what makes them tick. But everybody doesn't want to be put in a box and either go through the corporate ladder or go to law school or maybe not go to college or do it in the way that they think they're supposed to. And I'm here to liberate them in the non-traditional, you know, circuitous route to success. And it's about what makes somebody who they are. And there are so many common threads through really successful people. So I want to get a sense of your upbringing and your relationship to work ethic, success, money, what that was like in your household. They wanted me to just get a job. They wanted me to be safe and secure. That's all they wanted for their kids. And, you know, it's interesting now because I feel like everyone's supposed to have like uber job satisfaction. Everyone's supposed to have a vocation. You can't just go to work and get a paycheck. You're supposed to be, you know, fulfilled by your job. That was not my parents' tradition. I mean, everybody now thinks they have to have a career versus well, just going And also a-, a thing that kind of fulfills them. You know, I'm, yeah, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm living my true authentic life doing this job. And actually, my dad's job satisfaction came from making sure we had food, making sure we had clothes, making sure the mortgage was paid. That was his job satisfaction. He hated his actual job. I mean, he absolutely loathed it. He was lucky he was able to get early retirement. He was out of there by early 50s, I think, and he got nearly his full pension, and then he was gone. But uh, that for me, they want to be, you know, they knew that I wanted to be a performer, they wanted, I wanted to be an actor, but they were like, do the bank exam, it can be your hobby, um, do this, do that. Of course, I failed all those things, all those kind of fallback jobs you're supposed to get. I, they didn't want me. I was, I was rejected by them all. So by kind of accident, I ended up in university with no plan of what to do with that qualification. And then I dropped out of university. I have to say, in terms of a uh, a path to success, I'm not sure how useful my path to success will be for the listeners. uh, Because it's what I did, I think ultimately what I did was I built this 
thing where I had a plan A and that was it. And I, I boxed myself into a corner. And that's a terrible thing to do. You should always have a plan B. But I didn't. So if this hadn't worked out for me, if I hadn't kind of stumbled my way into a career, I have no idea what I'd be doing. Yeah, but I don't, if you have a plan B, you're not going to focus the most on your plan A. That's like the same thing saying that with a relationship. So I, I, I was in my late 30s and I still didn't really know what I was going to be doing with my life, you know? But whatever I was doing in the moment, I was very passionate about and driven about. And, you know, that is a rub for people. But that's why people end up being in sales or bartending and the money's good and they never end up being able to bust out because they have that safety net and you're kind of riding two horses. So, And I think it's less about your path than who you are. So did you think you had it? Did you feel inside like, I have it. I've got this thing. Doesn't matter what my parents are saying. They want me to just work hard and get a job. But I know inside there's a light. There's a sparkle. My gut instinct says, you know, X. I think what happened was my parents didn't want to see me hurt. So they manage my expectations down all the time. You know, so, well, of course you didn't get that because, you know, why would you? And I believed that. I believed that the career I wanted was for somebody else. That's what someone else did. And I didn't know. I mean, I was living in rural Ireland. So even the thought of becoming an actor, I had no idea how you would go about doing that. Uh, You know, there was Irish TV. There were actors on TV. I don't know how they got there. There was no drama school in Ireland at that time. So after I dropped out of university, I went to America. I lived in a hippie commune in San Francisco. And those hippies were so great for me. They really taught me so much. You know, they were asking me what I wanted to do. And I said I wanted to be an actor. And they were, why don't you do that? And when somebody looks at it from that angle... You know, why aren't you doing that? Because you've got all the reasons why, you know, you shouldn't. You kind of think, well, why? Actually, why aren't I? I'm young. I've got time to fail. And talking to them, they gave me the kind of, I don't know if it was confidence, but sort of the the motivation to go back, go back to Europe. I went to London and I just thought, well, I'll follow this dream for as long as it goes. So I'll apply for drama school. If I don't get into drama school, then I'll think again. I did get into drama school. Then I thought, well, if I don't get an agent... I'll think again. I did get an agent. If I don't get a job, I'll think again. I did get jobs. So I kind of followed as far as I could. But that came from the hippies. The hippies were the ones who kind of turned me on to that way of thinking. Whereas I think my parents just, this sounds like criticism of them. And it's not because what they did was amazing. I mean, they came from really poor background. They were very, very working class. And they, just by graft and cleverness, managed to eke their way into kind of uh, an Irish middle class. And I think they were scared that I was going to lose all of that. So they wanted me to be safe. And by going away, by leaving Ireland, I think that's what kind of helped me get out of that kind of the safe lane. You feel like the hippie culture made you present? You were just in the moment and you were just safe and whatever was going to happen and you were just letting the path drive you? This is very different. You're different than other people that I've spoken to in the sense that you were really just sort of free to be you and me about it. 
Did you have big dreams of money? Like, what, what did you have money noise? Did no, you- money noise. I mean, money noise, what's so weird having money now is kind of thinking back to what I thought money was <laughs> and and the difference of having it compared to the difference of wanting it. And, you know, I remember when I was in London, I was working in restaurants and I was trying to make it as an actor. You know, you just thought, oh, if I had, you know, 5,000 pounds, that would change my life. That would turn everything around. So I never dreamt big. I never thought, ooh, if I had a million pounds. I always thought in quite achievable little lumps. And then, you know, because I work in TV, this weird thing happened where you're working, 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 and you're making your living, you're paying your rent. And then you get a hit TV show and it's like you've won the lottery then it's not about a career or it's not about striving or financial planning. The money just arrives. Wow. And and so... You loved it. Uh, you love it. I mean, I like having money. Don't get me no, wrong. No, no, because you love what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that you're paid. And, and that's the thing, you know, I think people get really frustrated by show business where you see actors or TV hosts and they're wearing a suit and prancing around on a shiny floor and you're scrubbing floors and you're being paid uh, this much of that. And I think the way I explain it is I took a bet on myself. That's Going back to the no plan B, I put all my money on, you know, red. And if this hadn't worked out, nothing, zero, zilch. I would be beyond broke. But the bet came in uh, against all the odds, as you know. Well, so why are you successful? Because you're honest, you're engaging, you don't care about cancel culture per se, you're just irreverent, unapologetic. Why are you successful in this genre? You can't just do this without being a business person. I mean, you sort of are making it like you just show up and it just works out and, you know, the dollars roll in. There has to be some sort of real business instinct within you within this construct. Well, a lucky thing happened very early on where we got a big commission. I was with a TV network here called Channel 4, and they gave us a big commission, kind of, you know, a half a year of shows, weekly shows. And the executive producer, who does have some business acumen, kind of went, well, hang on. If we've got that much business coming in, we can set up our own production company. We've, mm. like, we're already successful if we know we've got that much business coming in. So he did that. And so I own half of that production company. And the fact that his career is linked to mine, (laughs) as in, you know, he's got kids, he's got responsibilities. So basically, if I'm not working, he's not making money. So I think there are lots of points in my career where I think I could have gone away. I wouldn't have wanted to, but there was no one kind of pushing. You know, I did a thing, I left Channel 4, I went to America, had an unsuccessful series, and was signed to the BBC, but didn't have a show to do or anything. And I think that was the moment in my life where my career could have just vanished. And because of him, and because he needed the production company to be working, he was the one back in England, he was the one kind of uh, beavering away and making sure that we did get some shows commissioned. So I think when you talk about, you know, I'm not a businessman, I'm really not, but he is. And my smart thing was, we hitched our wagons to each other in a way. But knowing what you know, and knowing what you don't know is a huge part of being successful. 
and ha- having the right team, having the right squad around you. There has to be some skill set in having a gut instinct. You can't be as successful like you are and not have a great gut instinct, I believe. Well, maybe I've got a good instinct, but also it is luck. Like uh, my, my executive producer, Graham Stewart, I've been with him since the beginning. The producer, Yone, he's been with me for over 20 years. And I think in the end, if you stumble upon in this industry where it's really hard, you know, the vast majority of shows aren't successful. So if you stumble upon a hit, you know, don't quit the hit. Why would either of those guys walk away from the show? And certainly I'm not going to walk away from it. It's my show. And equally, all of us are going to be working as hard as we can to keep it a success. We're not just going to take our eye off the ball and go, oh, it's a success now. We don't need to try. We do. It kind of adds pressure in a way uh, that you've got to make it bigger and better all the time. I can't wait to hear this answer. What percentage are you lucky and what percentage smart? Um... I don't know. I mean, there have been some things I've said no to over the years, and I think, oh, well, those are smart, good decisions. Um, there's been a couple of things I've said yes to, which were not good decisions. But I think I have a pretty good kind of uh, feeling for when something's not right. Um, at what age did you come out? And what was your parents' relationship to that? What was that discussion in your house household? You sort of said that your parents, they were always protecting you and that things were going to kind of go wrong for you. So they were cushioning. Elementary school. When I was going to elementary school, you know, I was four, four and a half years old. And I was a fey little boy. I liked wearing my sister's dresses. And my parents never forbid me from doing any of that. And remember, this was... The 60s in Ireland, you know, it was not like the 60s anywhere else. (laughs) It was like the 40s anywhere else. And uh, they never forbid me from doing this. They would let me dress up my sister's clothes and all this. But then, of course, this little child was going to be sent off to elementary school where, you know, I think back, my mother must have just thought that child is going to be beaten to a bloody pulp in school. You know, this is going to be such a hard thing for this little kid. And I remember she said to me, now, when people try to pick on you, don't react. They are looking for a reaction. And I took that advice and and I went with it and it worked. I was never bullied, particularly. I was never picked on um, because that is what the bullies are looking for. Um, I'm not sure what great advice it is in terms of your life. I think it makes you a bit emotionally distant <laughs> by, by training yourself to never react to things. But... But in terms of protecting me, it was very good advice. Now, cut to when I'm kind of 18, 19, I wasn't particularly sure I was gay. You know, I I sort of was, but you're in denial and you're thinking maybe I'm bisexual, maybe it's a phase, all all the classic tropes. All the neighbors would have known, oh, there's the gay guy from next door. But my parents didn't want to see it. So they didn't see it. I didn't see it. They didn't see it. Then I left Ireland. I did see it. They still didn't see it. And so I never came out. I sort of just drifted out. I just uh, incrementally became gay in my family. Um, You know, once I left Ireland, I was gay. And so because I was quite camp and quite fey, everyone I met, you know, in San Francisco, in London, they just assumed I was gay right. because of of course I was gay. And so I didn't never have to tell anyone because everyone just thought, oh, that's that gay guy. And so there was no coming out there. And then 
finally, I had a kind of a fully formed gay life. I sort of introduced my sister to it first, and maybe she went back and kind of <laughs> went back to Ireland, kind of you know, readied them for the news. But it was never, we never had that, you know, the, the beautiful coming out conversation. We never had the beautiful moment where we all cried and hugged. And also, you've got to remember, uh, talking about any sex was awful. Right. You know, I, I remember when my, my sister was married, I remember when she came to the house and told us she was pregnant, there was a sense of embarrassment because uh, we knew without doubt right. something had happened. She had had sex. So it wasn't like there was all this sex talk going on, but I was the only one not talking about it. No one wanted to talk about their sex lives. It, it was just, yeah, it was, it was not a comfortable area. So I think if, we, if you can get around it, if you can circumvent talking about anyone's sexuality at that time in Ireland, you did. So I think my parents will be forever grateful that I never sat them down for the talk. They didn't want the talk either. None of us did. So amazing. Mother's Day is May 12th and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Macy's makes it easy for your little ones to buy a present for you for Mother's Day. Bryn loves to shop but sometimes has a hard time figuring out what to get me. I have confidence that Macy's gift finder will be a great guide for her. Something for everyone at every price point. Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, it's so easy to shop. You can shop by price, category, or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything, gifts that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted, and gifts for grandma. Plus, Macy's has top gifts like Beats headphones, digital photo frames, Polaroid camera, and Samsung Smart TV, the frame. Head on over to Macy's.com slash gift finder for the perfect inspiration for Mother's Day. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Well, what's the entertainment industry like in the UK? Uh, FYI, I am, I'm Welsh. I've spent summers in Merthyr Tydfil as a kid. And I'm wow. Scottish and Irish, which I did not realize that it's a significant amount. I realized doing one of those sort of ancestry tests. So so what is, because uh, the reason I'm about to, I'm asking about the entertainment industry in the UK and why you didn't um, try it over here in this same, to the same degree and scale uh, and what that feels like to you. For example, everyone says to me, skinny girl, can we have it in UK? Why don't we have it in the UK? You know, we get in our own world and we think we're successful. And then we realize that like my products don't sell there. People know who I am, but probably not most people. And so it's just interesting. And I'm curious what, um, what the entertainment industry is like there, what your life is like there as an entertainer, as a media personality. I mean, it is interesting, isn't it? That thing where there are moments when you go, oh, big world. You know, because we're so used to, you know, World Wide Web, YouTube, but actually there's loads of stuff that doesn't travel. There's loads of stuff that people don't know. And so it's still worth traveling, everyone. It's still (laughs) worth going to other places. You'll see things you don't know. Um, You know, I knew nothing else apart from the British entertainment industry until I went to America. And back in the early noughties, we did a deal with Comedy Central and I did a series with Comedy Central, which we filmed in New York. And it was fascinating to us. It made you realize that kind of the the British entertainment industry was like sort of amateur dramatics compared to America, where it was an industry. Um, You know, a meeting about a show here, you're in a room with, you know, a suit, two suits Uh from the network. In America, you're in a room with 14 people. And they all have a job title. Well, you know this. I mean, meetings in America are just, they're just stupidly big. I don't know. I don't go to a lot of meetings. A, I never leave my house. <laughs> it's not, it's like a, almost like recluse. Um, I know what you're saying because when I've been signed by an agency or attempted to be this one in branding and marketing and PR and communications and the vice president and, the, you know, yeah. pitched shows, you have seven people and, you know, I get that. But, um, it's interesting what you're saying. So, and you're talking about a serious meeting in the UK. You're going to a serious meeting, and there are two people in there. And you're yeah. coming to. I mean, if I, you know, when I when I signed my deal with uh, my publishers, you know, there were maybe two people there. Um, I just moved to a different radio network here, and again, it was a really small deal. Uh, you know, I met a couple of people on Zoom. I met a couple of people in a room, and the deal was done. Oh wow! Uh, so that's a big one. So you're saying it just felt, feels like much more intense and like mock when you get here in the entertainment Yeah, it it seemed to me that there were all those people in that room. They're there so that it's nobody's fault. Ah, okay. When this thing bombs and uh, the network has lost millions of dollars, uh, they can all point at each other and the chances of everyone surviving are much higher (laughs) 
<laughs> Whereas if there are only two people in that room, it's somebody's fault. <laughs> the, 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 buck, the buck is stopping somewhere. Whereas I feel by populating those meetings with all those people, it just shifts the blame around. And if it's a hit, then everyone gets a little bit of the glow of success. Um, but if it's a failure, no one's carrying the can, particularly. That, that's what it seemed like. I find that they're big meetings and big people and big email chains in the beginning. And if it doesn't do well, it dwindles down to like one or two people that are talking to it. <laughs> yeah, well, also because people aren't invested in it anymore. Like, why right. bother? I mean, right. and I, I think the thing about America, too, is it turns so fast. Yeah. Well, you know, if, yeah. a, if a show isn't performing... It's not performing at all. You're gone. Yeah, whereas here, there used to be shows that would come back for season after season, and you kind of think, how? (laughs) No one's watching that show. But now it has become a bit more kind of cutthroat. But equally, they don't cancel things. They might try you out in different time slots and you die by a thousand cuts, but they don't just come in and pull the plug in the way, you know, that you hear all the stories about people who are, you know, they're rehearsing their sitcom and then suddenly they hear some whispering and people are packing up it's, by <laughs> the, the, way, the sets. One night only, literally you, one night you could premiere the next day. They're figuring out their exit strategy. And it's really true. It's a very big, and that's why I want to actually get into um, relevance with you, what that means to you. I want to get into cancel culture because I don't know what's going on in the UK right now in this regard, but what's going on here. Uh, I'm one of my books and we all, I also want to talk about your book. I say, make decisions out of truth, not fear. And it sounds like that was a big thing that you've done in your career. You made decisions out of truth in the moment, what you want to do, what you love to do, what you're passionate about. You didn't think about plan B. You just, this is the truth for you. When something doesn't smell right in a business deal, that's the truth for you. So you're not making a lot of decisions out of fear. The entire, not just entertainment industry, media, entertainment, the world, corporate is driven right now by fear. And I started when I had my talk show, which I wasn't particularly great at, although I didn't really love it because it felt like I was directing traffic. If I had the wrong lipstick on, I could never wear lipstick again. And it was just a rush and it was a reaction, not action. It wasn't anything I wanted to do. It was what I was supposed to be doing. And it was very anxiety producing. It was me in a box, but that was the beginning. And that was a while ago of like what I understood to be fear. Like someone's going to lose their job. This didn't do well today. Tomorrow we are, as you said, packing your bags. Now this is at a fever pitch. Everyone's terrified to say something, do something, wear something, think something, buy something, represent something. It is fear-based culture right now. So what's going on there? I mean... It doesn't feel like that. I know what you mean. I see it happening, but it doesn't seem to happen as much here as it does there. Okay, you I don't, would feel it. Like, it's on right now. You know, I've done jokes on my show, which I would not do now. Yeah. I, I will not defend. They were, you know, from this standpoint, awful. What's great is the world has moved on. We were not, you're not going to do those jokes now. Or if you are, expect people to call you out for them. But, um, but, um Dave Chappelle would get away with it. It's also a positioning and a packaging and what vehicle you're in. And comedy is at risk now because people can't, you know, people are, Chelsea Handler's not actually telling all true stories. She says this in her book, it's embellishment, it's sense of humor. So now people in movies aren't smoking and aren't saying inappropriate things anymore, but there are real people in the world saying inappropriate 
inappropriate things and smoking. So now TV is fake because we are trying to create this construct. So I get it, but it's this weird meta world where, you know, you don't know where the line is because humor is at is at risk in certain ways. You know, you are you're scared. I I, I, see, I would say what's what's it, the plus of this on the upside of this. People have to try harder. People have to find because actually a lot of the jokes that you can't do now are really lazy jokes. Fair. They're re, they're very lazy All jokes. They're, they're they're punching down jokes. They're you know they're not admirable. They're, okay, they're not worth defending. I mean, you know, people go, oh, you can't say anything now. Well, why did you want to say that? You know, find a cleverer thing to say. Find a more interesting thing to say. Great, no. And don't don't say the first thing. Great, you know, uh, and I think that's the upside of all of this. And I know what you're saying, that, yes, maybe they're kind of sanitizing drama and all that sort of stuff. But I think there will always be room for the other sort of thing. There'll always be, you know, big mainstream movies were always glossy. You know, you, when you see someone living in there, um, they're a student, they're living in a, a New York apartment, and you think, oh, piss off. Like, are you a multimillionaire to live in that apartment? Um, and then there'd be an indie movie where they lived in the actual apartment that student would live in. There's always been a disconnect between what drama really is. It's never been real. It's never been the actual world. It, it it reflects something that an audience finds palatable, I would say. So I think that's just shifting. Yeah. And the other thing, the other thing I'm saying is, I find this with my friends as well. If you fight all of this, it's very aging. <laughs> You, you seem quite old if you fight all of this. It's much easier just to go with it. Um, because the people who aren't complaining about this are young people. This is the world that young people are building for themselves that they want to live in. And we're That's just kind of point. the old dinosaurs wandering around and bumping into furniture. There'll be lots of moments when we go, oh, for God's sake, what, you can't say that now? Oh, you can't do this. Uh, yeah, but who cares, really? So anyway... Um, do you care about being relevant? Like at this point in your career, do you think about uh, packing it up? Do you think about when to hold them and when to fold them? And are you yeah. like Joan Rivers cared how full her calendar was? It was part of how she well validated herself, how she measured her yeah, her life. It's her it was her identity. It was her identity. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. That part of your identity. And I I wonder about that. You know, uh, the times I've come close to not working, the times I've come close to losing things, you kind of think, wow, how much of me is this job? And I think I'll be okay. That's my... That's 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 what I hope. Um, I remember when I went to America. I'd you know been successful here for I don't know four or five years, and I remember getting off the plane in America, thinking, hmm, I wonder if I'll miss being well known. And it turns out I didn't. I really didn't. I quite liked it. How anonymous is it here? And is it you can't walk out of your house in, in the UK? I mean, you know, I will still meet people who don't have a TV or whatever. They won't know who I am. But, you know, I've been on TV here for 25 years. So people do know who I am. Right. Um, in America, you know, I bump into the odd person who knows right. who I am. Well, I might not on the street because it would be out of context, too. Like yeah, if, if exactly. If I saw you in the UK, I might. if I were here, I wouldn't expect to see you here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So for me, America's lovely because uh, I'm not really known there. Um, but, and this is an awful thing to say. Well, I don't know. It's okay to say on this. But it, but I still have the money. Yeah. <laughs> Which what? is, uh, I think it was Billy Crystal. Uh, you know, people say to him, oh, I'd love to be rich and famous. And he always says, try being rich first. And 
I think that's such a, uh, a when you see you know, people with lots of money then attempting to become famous. You got to think, why are you doing that? You have you have the good bit. You exactly. have the great bit already. By the way, I can name five people that are so thirsty because it just bothers them that they couldn't nail this part. It's you know neither part is easy, but some people who have money it drives them crazy that they can't nail this relevant fame part. And I know some of them personally, who, when I was totally broke and totally poor, used to treat me like I was nobody and they were super rich. So they were somebody. And now they kiss my ass because all they want is some of that shine. And it really, it's better to be wealthy than famous by every stretch of the imagination. Just <laughs> it's um, Who are your greatest guests for whatever reason? Like what are the funniest, greatest, most entertaining or best shows or guests, the, the, the peak guests? And for me, the big ones are, are like the, there are some just big stars who are great at being guests. Okay. And they're, because sometimes I do my job. Sometimes I ask the right questions. I set the mood. I bring the best out of somebody. And I feel like, oh, yeah, I did a good job. Then there's the guests who come on and like this chair could be empty they'd be a great guest so like the tom hanks the will smiths those people they are so good at it so good at making you believe that they love being tom hanks they really enjoy being will smith and they never let light in on that and that is such a skill and it really it, it explains why they're huge stars and are still huge stars i mean tom cruise is another one who tom cruise like he does this thing well it's basically he's very good at being tom cruise when he arrives at the studio um he gets out of the car and you know catherine the line producer meets him hi i'm catherine I'm da -da -da. this is so and so this is uh, pete the researcher this is john the guest booker he shakes their hands he comes in he does the show da -da -da. when he's leaving bye bye catherine thank you wow. so much where's pete where's pete there's pete hi wow. pete thank you so much now that's a trick he learned how to do that. I haven't learned how to do it. I haven't bothered. And it means those people who work on my show love him. Wow. They would crawl over broken glass for him. They adore him. Wow. Great note for people, by the way, when you're going to interviews, when you're meeting with people, doesn't have to be in the entertainment industry. Great note. Take people's names, follow ups and the muffin basket, things like that. That's a huge one. And those little moments are noted and meaningful. But maybe you'll do it more because I'm going to do what you just said about uh, Catherine. And, you know, sometimes you're in your own head and you're so busy and you're just moving forward and you've got all this information and data and you don't realize that you may be thinking, oh, there's that person, but you're not saying it out loud. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. I get off the phone and I don't even say goodbye because the conversation's over. And I, you know, those, those moments are meaningful. I think they probably are very helpful in business because you've just mentioned it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's like um, Lady Gaga was on the show and at the end of a rehearsal, she said, oh, could everyone stop? Could I have a moment? And you could imagine everyone's just like rolling right. their eyes going, oh God, what does she want now? And it was to thank everybody. She wanted to thank all the, the technical people, all the art department, yeah. and everything, who'd helped to make this performance possible. And those people appreciated that so much. And talking about the basket of muffins, normally, if people send something to the show, they'll send it to me, or they'll send it to the executive producer. She 
sent stuff to the people who made her stuff happen. I'm the same. I'm a big, 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 big gift sender. There is never not a gift list going on. It's I'm a gifter. I, I love because it's thoughtful. Last week, I got a great reservation in Miami. That's a hard reservation. What was her name? Put her on the gift list. Like I love the gift. I may not be. I may not have the gift of remembering everyone's name or saying hello or goodbye, <laughs> but I have the gift of thanking. Um, so what about your peaks at your peak and your low of your career? What was the rose? I call it the rose and the thorn, your rose of your career and the thorn of your career. Um, the, I mean, getting the chat show was the rose of my career. I mean, that was because, you know, everyone who wants their big break, you want your big break, you want your big break. And that's what you're striving for. Well, I get my big break. And I was very aware that getting my own talk show was my big break. But then there's this awful moment that you realize if this big break goes wrong, if this bombs, I am so much further back mm-hmm. than I was the moment before that big break. So true. Because now I'm the guy trailing failure. Yep. Before, I was the unknown, full of possibility. Yep. If only someone took a chance on me. Yep. And I remember the only kind of, I think it was a panic attack, the only thing I've ever had like that was in the lead up to the beginning of the talk show where I had to really calm myself down and kind of talk about, you know, the worst case scenario. What would I do if this thing was a disaster? Da, 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 da. And from then on, I was okay. And also I was okay because the show did well. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have to, I didn't have to navigate the worst case scenario. And so that's the rose and was the thorn was the lead up? No. What was the thorn? No, I would say the thorn, the thorn I suppose was when I came back from America and I was kind of scrabbling around and I didn't have a show. Um, and that was hard. And that's where things could have really just, that could have been, you know, the final chapter in my career. career. Yeah, that could have been just that. And then after that, I'd have just muddled through and done, you know, little bits and bobs. And, you know, I'd still got gigs, but but having the big flagship talk show on BBC One, there's no reason why that should have happened. But But in that moment, the money wasn't the thing because you had the money. In that moment, the relevance and the fame. So there is a little bit of something to that. Do you know what I'm saying? In that moment, your bank account was cool. Yeah. And also, I think here's the thing. Um, when I was at Channel 4, I got offered a, a, to switch to the BBC, a different network. And they they showed me the, the deal, the shows they wanted me to do. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. Two weeks later, I got a call from my agent. So excited. The deal was back. But now the money was, I can't remember what they'd done to the money. I mean, they it was just multiples more. It was a huge amount of money. And, you know, everyone's very excited because everyone's going to get their percentage of that money and I'm going to get the -hmm. bulk of that money. And, you know, and you don't know what to do. And then what I did was I thought, well, hang on. That's the deal I said no to. I said no to that deal. And the only thing that's changed is the money. And actually, that's not enough. Those shows, I didn't want to do them two weeks ago. And the money hasn't made those shows better. Okay, so that's very interesting. When I left the housewives, everyone thought that I was leaving because I didn't get enough money. And I said, no, I would have been staying for the money. The only reason I was going to stay was for the money. Yeah. But I, it's funny you're saying that because you would have been staying or doing it for the money, not for oh, the craft completely. Of the art. And that's yeah. a dangerous game to be playing. That feels like the last heist in a heist movie. You go back into the last one. And that's when you get jammed up. And also 
the thing is, though, I'm now 58. So, you know, I, my career is going in one direction. <laughs> I'm, I am, you know, I'm coasting towards some sort of retirement. Right. So now, if somebody brought me some shows I didn't want to do, <laughs> then two weeks later, they'd upped the price to gazillions, I probably would say yes, because I would think, mm, who cares? <laughs> well, depending upon the effort level and your ROI, I talk about that bucket. Yeah. It's called the bucket. I would rather have fewer buckets full so I don't want to do 12 things halfway. I'd rather do six that are very lucrative or rewarding. You're getting an ROI. So it depends for you on your time. As you get older, you realize your time is way more valuable, how you feel, your physical and mental yeah. health. So it depends upon the time that something is going to take you. Yeah. And also I'm lucky in that I've got things that I do that don't make much money, like the books and stuff, which I really enjoy. So if I'm doing a big cash gig that I'm not loving, but it pays for everything, I'm still able to do Definitely. the things I do love. I understand. And that's a balance for people to decide um, about the book. First of all, I love the look of the book. And it's important now because people don't read as much. I just like the way that your book looks. So can you tell us about your book? The Home Stretch, right? It's called Home, Home Stretch. Home Stretch. Stretch is the new one. What's weird about the books is oh, that's not what my name is on them, but it's not the Graham Norton you expect. They're quite serious. They're quite dark. They're set in rural Ireland. Um and I really enjoy writing them. And luckily here, they have found an audience. And I wasn't sure whether they would, mm -hmm. because, you know, I think people would come to these books thinking they're going to be funny, right. thinking they might be set in the world of media, or they might be set in London, or they'd be glamorous or gossipy or whatever. And they're so not that. They're kind of understated and dark. And and Homestretch is the third one. And actually, it opens up a bit. Um, about a third of the story is in New York, is in Manhattan, and Nyack um, is set there, where one of the characters kind of leaves Ireland and has a life in America, like so many Irish people mm -hmm. do. And But eventually, he does go back. And it starts with a, a terrible car crash. And it's something that happens, I'm sure it happens everywhere, but certainly in Ireland, you hear about it, where... During the summer months, kids, the overconfidence of youth, maybe there's drink involved, they're reckless driving, crash. And what I noticed is, you know, young people die in these crashes, but often the driver survives. Mm. And I just thought, what happens to that kid? What happens to that kid? He's hardly started his life and already he's blighted it. Because he's in this small town, everyone knows him. He has killed his friends. He has killed his parents' friends' wow. children. So, and that happens, you know, relatively often. And I just thought, how does that kid go on with their life? What happens? And so that was the start of this book. And it does, it tells the story of Connor the driver and, and what he does. Um, and then oddly, it's also kind of the story of Ireland. Because Ireland, over the last 30 years, has become this weirdly liberal place. You know, it was the first place on earth where a public vote, a referendum, brought in gay marriage. It wasn't legislation. It was the people of Ireland. Interesting. To me, that is its own separate brand, and it's entirely different. You have to brand that as the yes. different brand, yeah. the gritty Irish tortured writer brand. Um, last thing I want to know is uh, your relationship to relationships. Is it important to you? Do you want to have that lifelong connection? What, what 
matters to you as it pertains to the category of relationships and as that connects to a career? Well, it's I think my career has probably hampered relationships, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I've probably prioritized my career over relationships. And two, you know, it's quite difficult to date some guy on TV because particularly I think if I was straight, I feel like a woman in my life would have a role. There'd be things for her to do. Uh, You know, she could be a hostess. She could be a mother. She could be, you know, do all those things. But for another man, it's quite emasculating to be the other half of this creature on television. So I think that's difficult. By the way, I understand what you're saying. And for me being a woman with this kind of a career, think about what that's like to be a man with a woman, no matter how successful. Um, you got to find the right person who can deal with that and find their own identity and value in their own success, which is not that easy. No one can prepare you for what it's like to go out with you. Right. Where suddenly you're at cocktail parties and that person is being elbowed out of the way or they're being asked to hold coats or, you know. That's not great. And I never go out, so he doesn't experience it that much, but he doesn't like, we went into a store, Lux Good store, really major store, and he bought me something really major. And the salesperson did not look at him who had the credit card and was paying for it, like did not even acknowledge his presence. And it really pissed him off because, I mean, the man, he was spending a lot of money and he was like, could the man at least look me in the eye? made him feel like shit, you know, and it makes me then feel uncomfortable. And I get what you're saying. It's very degrading. Yeah, it chips away at you. And, you know, you're fine once, you're fine twice, the 10th time. Yes. You just think, I can't, I cannot do this. And I and I get that. I understand it. But I'm not sure what the you or the I can do about it. And yet somehow it's our fault, I think you'll find. <laughs> yes. But more than that, I think it's also just the all-consuming nature of this level of a career. And if you're a person like me who really, it's part of who I am, as much as being an amazing present mother, as much as being a recluse, never in hair or makeup and always at home. I am addicted to the idea. I love the idea. I love the execution. I love the creativity. I love the medium. I love the vehicle. That is very much part of who I am. So you have to be honest about who you are and hopefully find find a partner who has enough that fulfills them and you don't fix them. I I work on myself. Someone on the show taught me, you work on yourself. You don't work on them. Let them work on themselves. And that people need to give each other space and a long leash. I've learned that too. If I'm the crazy one, he's the boring one. Let him be the boring one. Go to sleep at 10 o'clock. I'll have fun after 10 o'clock or I'll go on vacation with my friends to not want the other person to like fulfill those voids that you have. I've always sort of made that mistake. Yeah, so long as they're fulfilling something. um, So there has to be somewhere in between. You're engaged. You found it. I'm not. I haven't. I'm always going to be a work in progress. And it sounds like to you at this time, it's not a priority. Like, it's not exactly what you want. You don't know that it's right for you. And that's absolutely also great and liberating and more current than before. And what I'm talking about as it pertains to me is also feeling current that it's not like if I have a long distance relationship, which I do, it used to feel like there were optics to that that were wrong or there were things I was supposed to do or jam in the time. Now it's feeling like it breathes, it lives. I have a quadrant with my daughter alone. I love that. I have time with my fiance alone. I love that. I have time when we're together with his kids. I love that he has time alone with his kids. I love that. It used to be like, we're supposed to be one person. We're supposed to be codependent. We're supposed to do everything together. What are we eating? What are we doing? Where are we going? And I found that I like it this way. 
and it, that's okay. Yeah. It's like that thing is that relationships are a covered dish. You often, you know, you look at couples and you kind of think, how does that work? Right. And then you look at couples who you think must be happy. And of course, they're the ones who aren't. So you cannot second guess what's going on in a relationship between two people. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Got to work for you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. I can't wait to like have a reason to be in the UK and have be relevant <laughs> enough to be on your show and just laugh with you on that couch with you in one of your wacky outfits. That would be like an honor at some point. Um, although I never leave the house, as you know, you're wonderful. Really, oh, really well, interesting. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Graham, so much. Um, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Take care of yourself. So Graham Norton's interview was different because it seems like he sort of just allowed the process in life. Jonathan Adler was a little bit like this, where I kept trying to grip onto, okay, what is it? Why are you successful? Where is the toolbox? Like, And Graham was sort of like letting the process flow, allowing the magic to happen around him and putting one step in front of the other. And it's different. It's definitely different than everybody else who's just like, no, you have to do this. You have to set yourself up for success. You have to be prepared. Graham's more chill about it. Like I said, certain people go with the flow and maybe they've experienced luck and they allow the process to take its own form. I'm the opposite. I, and you have to decide who you are. I basically set myself up for success, but I make things happen. It seems like Graham is smart and knows what he doesn't want to do and how to follow his gut instinct, but he's allowed the process to unfold. He very well could have been not successful, as likely as being successful, according to him. Like, it could have very well not happened. And I think the same thing for myself, but he just doesn't seem as hungry and thirsty as many people are, which is relaxing and interesting because he's been successful and on television for so long. But you can tell he likes to be relevant and he wants to stay at the front of the pack. So they're just interesting combinations where I'm so driven, but the minute that the shine fades, I'm walking away. I'm cool with that. Like the minute that the tables go cold, I'm walking away. I'm not, you know, holding on. I don't care if I'm relevant, not relevant. So it's just interesting the different recipe that you see in all of these different people to success. So Graham definitely stood out as being unique in a more relaxed way in a laissez-faire way, but not in a laissez-faire way as it pertains to his show and staying at the top. Just Be is hosted and executive produced by me, Bethany Frankel. Just Be is a production of Be Real Productions and iHeartRadio. Our managing producer is Fiona Smith and our producer is Stephanie Stender. Our EP is Morgan Lavoie. To catch more moments from the show, follow us on Instagram at Just Be With Bethany. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.